and that God desires to have not just fellowship with you and me, but He desires to have unbroken fellowship with the men and women that He created. We've talked a little bit of late about this empty place inside of us that can only be filled not just by God. That's, that's a little too vague. A lot of people got born again, but they still have that empty place. And so maybe they start questioning whether or not they were saved or, you know, what's happening here and so forth and so on. So it's, it's, it's not just the positional oneness that fills that empty place inside of us. It's the functional oneness with God where we do life together with Him. And I've said this over and over again. I'm going to say it again. Um, a marriage license will not satisfy your desire for a spouse. It'll make you one with your spouse, but what we really long for in our lives is that functional oneness together with our spouse. And so the same is true with our Heavenly Father. The same is true with our Heavenly Father. And so what He desires is what we desire. And sometimes we're a little bit unclear in what we desire, and so we start trying things. You know what I mean by that? You know, got some issue, some problem in our lives, and we just start trying stuff, see if this will work, see if this will fix it, see if this will change it. You don't have to do that. Are you hearing me? You don't have to do that. One of the um, biggest business deals the Lord ever uh, put me in a position to negotiate, and really it was my dad, um, if he hadn't been along for the trip to Nashville, I would have probably, uh, um, amen. Uh, we, what it was is a large uh, regional company that wanted me to uh, do all their cabinet. Uh, they wanted me to measure the jobs, fabricate the jobs, install the jobs, and they were going to sell the jobs and finance the jobs. And um, so we went and we... Uh, negotiated that deal and they told us no way you know we I came back from Nashville I'm like well Lord either you know I'm just gonna trust you with it you know and, and um, anyway the guy called me a few days later and he said look we've we've decided to change our price structure we want to go with you and this is what he said he said I figured I could come to Alabama and kiss a whole bunch of toads hoping one of them turned into a prince or I could just pay you <laughs> amen and see that's the thing we we, we kiss a lot of toads in life trying to find the Prince of Peace. Amen. You don't, you don't have to do that. The Holy Spirit will take you straight to Him. He'll take you straight to Him. If you'll just turn your heart towards Him, turn your face towards Him, quit running from Him. Decide, as, as the Bible says, just be willing to be willing. Amen. You don't, it, it's just a willingness to say, you know what, Lord, I'm not sure about all this, but I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to go. And it's amazing how Father will bring that to you. Because, see, He, he knows what He desires to have with you. Sometimes we, we don't really understand what I call the inward hunger of the heart. It's what it is that we really are hungry for. But He knows. Amen. And He has made a way for us to enjoy that, experience that in our daily lives. Not just one day when we get to heaven, but here on the earth. Now, we've also covered this in many different places in the Word of God, that Jesus is one sacrifice for all sin, for all people, for all time. One sacrifice for all sin, for all people, for all time. And this was, of course, how God was able, through the sacrifice of His Son, how He was able to take away our sin. Not just cover it up, not just forgive it, not just write it off, not just turn His back on it, but, but He was able to deal with it and remove it 
from you once and for all. And again, not just the sacrifices that, I'm sorry, not just the sin that we had committed up to the point that we asked Jesus into our hearts. That was the Old Testament model. People would sin, they would bring an animal to be sacrificed, and that's, that God would let the blood of that animal to cover over the sin. But if they sinned again, another sacrifice had to be offered. Jesus was that one sacrifice for all sin for all time. And so this is part of a much lengthier study. I know some of you have been here for some of this and some more than others, some fresh in all this. And so I try to mention these things um, as we begin. But we've come to this place of where we know that God, again, He desires unbroken fellowship, not just fellowship, but fellowship and oneness with you and me, the people that He created, that cannot be broken. And, of course, the only thing that could ever break it anyway was sin. And we've established that sin is our choice. And even after we're born again, we're still babies in God and we still make mistakes and still do things that, that, that displease God and would be in the eyes of God as sin. Except for God didn't want our sin to separate us from Him. But how can He solve this dilemma? And that's what Romans um, chapter 3 is talking about there. Where He is still a just God and a righteous God, but yet our sin not separate him, separate us from Him. So, in a nutshell, and we spent several weeks explaining this, but in a, nut, in a nutshell, what God had to do is pay for our sin and the consequences of our sin before we committed the sin. That's, all, that's the only way it'll ever work. He had to figure out a way to pay for our sin and the consequences of our sin before we commit the sin, or elsewise the sin would separate us from Him. Now, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. This was, um, I don't know how you were raised, but you know, there's this um, track, you know, this kind of little small booklet that you can give people to help them you know, find Jesus. And it's called the Romans Roadmap to Salvation. And it basically uh, highlights key verses in the book of uh, uh, Romans that you know, leads people ultimately to you know, chapter 10 where call upon the name of the Lord, believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God, that God's raised Him from the dead, and you'll be saved. And so Romans 3.23, and then of course we jump in at Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death... But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, wages here is um, consequences. There's just, we could say it this way. This is what sin will get you, okay? <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's, it's what you earn um, because of uh, your sin. So the wages of sin is death. So now remember... Father God's got to figure out a way to pay for our sin and the consequences of our sin before our sins are committed. And the number one consequence of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. It's one word I want you to think of more than any other word when you hear the word death, and that's the word separation. So the wages of sin is separation from God. Separation from God is the exact opposite of what God desires to have with you and what you ultimately desire out of, of life itself. And that's to have fellowship with God, right? So sin is a problem in the sense that it separates people from God. But it's not just a problem that we have. 
It's a problem that God has. If God desires to have uh, functional oneness and fellowship with you and me, and our sin keeps separating us from Him, He's got a problem. That's why the Bible says that He's forgiven you for His sake, not just for your own. Not just for your own. So the wages of sin is death, the gift of God's eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's break this down for a moment. Hebrews chapter 2, we looked at this verse last week, but we see Jesus. We see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, so this is the grace of God, the unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor of God, something that God blessed you with, something that God did for you, something that God gave to you that you didn't deserve, that you didn't earn, that you can't pay for, by the grace of God, that Jesus might do what? That he might taste death for everyone. And that doesn't mean took a little bit of it in his mouth and spit it out. It means he experienced death for everyone. For everyone. When we get over in 1 John and, and Romans 3 and we start seeing this word propitiation. It's a big word, propitiation. What it means is the, the, that Jesus took the wrath of God that we deserved and he took that for us. And the Bible's very clear. He didn't just do it for the people who've been born again and are in the church, but he did it for the entire world. For the entire world. So, when it says he might taste death for everyone, that he might experience death for everyone, he took everybody's sin and everybody's sin separated him from his father and that separation from his father was, was the death that he died for everyone. A stranger could walk in this room tonight and ask to be saved and Jesus would not have to do a single thing in order for that man or woman to be completely born again and made one with God. Why? Because he already did everything that's needed for every human being that has ever lived or ever will ever will live to be made one with God the Father. He tasted death. Sin, right? The consequence of sin, the consequence of sin is death. The consequence of sin is death. Death is separation from God. Jesus took that consequence uh, for us and experienced death for every single one of us. Now let's keep going. Verse number 10, for it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he's not ashamed to call them brethren. Now, we're going we're gonna to come back, and I probably should have just held off on that verse right there. We're going we're to come back to this verse if we have time. But I want to make sure that, because sometimes we take one verse and we kind of break it down and we look at some key things in that verse. And then, you know, verses right next to it, next week we'll talk about those verses, and we never realize that all these verses, you know, are connected together and continue the same thought forward, all right? So notice that he uh, who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. He's the captain uh, of our salvation, uh, meaning he's the originator of it. And he was made perfect uh, through sufferings, all right? But let's, let's go back, and I, I maybe, like I said, should have held off on that. But Romans six twenty three: the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Jesus paid for our sin. He paid for our sin. But then what did he do? He gave us the gift of eternal life. And that eternal life is not just in you and me. It's in you and me in Christ Jesus our Lord. That it's in Christ Jesus our Lord is um, important because that means the maintenance of it is not on us. It's on him. We're in Him. 
We, we might say it this way, you know, uh, you're going behind the, the, the scenes at a, uh, a big concert, you know, VIP only or whatever, you know. And, you know, somebody looks at you and they're like, what are you doing back here? I'm with him. Right? You, you get on the sidelines of a, of a, of a football game. You know, only, hey, what are you doing down here? I'm, I'm with him. So we have eternal life in us now because we are in Christ Jesus our Lord. It wasn't just given directly to us. It was given to us in Christ Jesus our Lord, which means the only way it can be taken away from us is if we are no longer in him. And, of course, we know that that's not going to happen from other places within the Scriptures. So I want to break this verse down, Romans 6.23, just for a few more minutes if we could, please. Sin separates us from God, and separation from God is death. The wages or the consequences of sin is death, or the wages or consequences of sin is separation from God. And again, the world is changing, the church is changing, but you know, at least... In, in my lifetime, what I have seen is you could preach that just about in any Bible-believing church and people would agree with it and would say amen to it, all right? But the opposite of death and separation, the opposite of death and separation are life and union. Jesus has not only taken death for us, He has turned around and given us eternal life. And so eternal life is not possible without eternal union. Are you following me? Because the life comes through the union. Are you with me? The life comes through the union. Our union with Christ Jesus is what that eternal life flows through. We can say it another way. The only reason I have eternal life is because I am in Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus is in me. I have that union with Him. I have that oneness. Remember, death is separation. Sin separated me from God. Jesus came, took the blame and the punishment for my sin, died in my place, was separated from God in my place. So any sin that I commit moving forward is sin that Jesus has already taken the penalty and the punishment for. That's why a born-again believer can commit a sin and that sin not separate them from God because that sin has already separated somebody from God for them. In other words, the consequence of sin is separation from God. But Jesus took all the sin and all the sin separated him from God so that now God can be just and the justifier of those who believe on him. Are you seeing this? I'll get stirred up about this, man. This is... You know, I've been kind of randomly asking people, and, and maybe try it. Just, you know, it'd be a good conversation starter. You just ask, like, co-worker something, you know, on a break. I mean, obviously, don't be riding the clock. But, but you know, just ask somebody. Ask somebody in your family, hey, when's the last time you've heard a good sermon on perfected forever? You're going to be shocked at how many people don't even know it's in the Bible. It's like, what, what is that? Is that some, you know, what, yeah. Is that some kind of supplement or something? What is that, a vitamin company? What, what is this, right? Amen. Amen. So Jesus paid for our sin and then gave us the gift of eternal life. The opposite of death and separation are life and union. Jesus has given us eternal life, and eternal life is not possible without eternal union. No union, no oneness, um, no union or oneness with God Man, I, I butchered that on point myself. I can't even read my own writing there, and it's typed. I mean, um, let's do it this way. Jesus came to separate you from the sin that separated us from God. I'm not making excuses for myself, but it is, uh, um, 
It has been a beautiful, wonderful, glorious week. Amen. And it's been a full one. It's been a busy one. And I didn't even mention this, but I, I'm going to ask you if you think about it t- tomorrow to pray. We do quarterly um, trainings for the uh, Association of Christian Recovery Ministries. And you've heard me talk about those before. And uh, we got our, our first one for 2024 tomorrow. And um, we have over 150 people registered. And so for the first time, we're, we can't fit that many folks in the classroom. And so we're going to move the training in here. Uh, but then we also, um, the association caters lunch. So we're going to be doing lunch in the fellowship hall. So uh, we may make a stab at trying to move some of those tables. Uh, you don't have to look the other way if you go out the door and don't have time to do that after church. But, uh, but anyway, it's just been a lot going on. And then, of course, uh, uh, here comes Bethany and Jake with a third baby carriage in, in the middle of all of it. So it's been a great week. But I'm not sure what I was trying to say with that. All right. Um, oh, I know what I was trying to say. No union or oneness with God means death. I just put life. It's, it's, it should say death. If you don't have union or oneness with God, that is death. That's separation from God. So Jesus has given us eternal life, right? But that's not possible with eternal union. Now, he could give you life, temporary life with temporary union. Are you seeing this? But the only way it could be eternal life, because life comes with oneness and union with God, is for it to be an eternal union with God. And so we see this in John chapter 17 and verse 3, where he says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So he's saying here that eternal life is knowing God and knowing Jesus whom God has sent. We see this in John chapter 1 where the Bible says Jesus came to his own people, the Jewish people, but many of them rejected him. And then that meant the door was now open for other nations, other people groups. It always was going to be. And so it says this, as many as have received him, To those he has given the right, and that word right there in the New King James translated power in the King James Version is a very unique word. But he's basically saying that if you believe that God has sent Jesus, and if you believe that Jesus is who Jesus says he is, there is nothing stopping you from becoming one of God's offspring in the earth. That's how a man or woman is uh, born again. So the key word in this verse, John chapter 17, verse 3, is the word know, that they may know you, the only true God, and that they may know Jesus Christ, whom the only true God has sent. And to know here is a word with far-reaching meaning. It can mean a lot of different things, but I believe the intended translation here is knowing as in intimate union and oneness. So if you've ever read in the Bible like where a, a, a man and a woman have uh, sexual relations, the Bible says that so-and-so knew her. It knew her. doesn't mean that he knew her like she's the you know, girl that works at the donut shop or whatever. I mean, it's, it means that he, he had uh, uh, sex with her, okay? Um, and so that, again, he's talking about the, the oneness and the union uh, here. The word is uh, gnosko uh, in uh, the Greek. Now, Let's go to, um, thank you, Jesus. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 and 14. And we'll cycle back through uh, to those verses in Hebrews too. It says, Every priest stands ministering daily 
and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices. This is referring to the animal sacrifices that were made in the, in the uh, former covenant, the old covenant, which can never do what? They can never take away sins. All they could do was cover them up. They couldn't take them away. But this man, speaking of Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Now, I want to try to just real quick like, because we've, we've covered this now a couple of times, and so for the third time I want to go back to this. Perfected forever. The word perfected doesn't mean what a lot of people think in our English vocabulary, that something is perfect, okay? Uh, man, man, she's perfect. Yeah, she never, no, that's, perfected here is the Greek word teleos, and it means that which has come full circle or that which has completed or fulfilled its intended uh, goal or intended end. See, to sin means to miss the full scope and true end of one's life. The, the word um, uh, sin in the Greek is the word homardia. And it, it, it means, you know, we think sin just did something bad. No, it, sin is more than doing something bad. To, to, to participate in sin is to miss the full scope and true end of one's life. Okay? And, you know, in other words, to miss out on what God has for you, to miss out on why you exist, to miss out on what it is that God desires to give to you, what He desires for you to have and experience with Him, so forth and so on. All right? And so when He says that He has perfected forever, He's talking about that Jesus has um, made a way for Father's intended purpose and goal for your life to be completed. And so it, it works like this. We came forth from God. We sinned and separated ourselves from God. But those who have been perfected forever have been restored back into oneness and fellowship with God. Amen. Are you seeing this? That's really important. It's important because what we see in Hebrews in chapter 2 and then also again in chapter 5 is that Jesus has now been perfected. And you think... See, you look at that, and you, if you don't understand what perfected means, and you know, we're trying to figure out what it means for you and me to be perfected forever. Well, the example, uh, as, as Brother Donald says, look at the picture on the box. Jesus is the one who was first perfected uh, forever, and we're in Him. And because we're in Him, we've been perfected forever. What does that mean? Jesus came forth from the Father. He came to the earth as a man. He committed no sin, but at the end of His uh, uh, life here on earth, He became our sin. Our sin separated Him from God. He died. He went to hell. And then Father God, uh, according to His Word and the promise that He made, uh, He raised Jesus up from the dead, and Jesus has now been restored back into oneness and fellowship with God the Father. Are you seeing this? So... Amen. That's what we saw in those verses in, uh, in chapter 2. Uh, I'll put them back up on the screen. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things and bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect. Perfect. Through sufferings. Jesus suffered before the cross. He suffered on the cross. He suffered uh, the most, I believe, when he became our sin and our sin separated him from God. And he cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Father God turned his back on Jesus. But he did so knowing that if he turned his back on Jesus that day, he would never have to turn his back on one of his children ever again. Why? Because when Jesus became your sin and my sin, amen, he was paying, he was taking consequences for sin that he didn't commit. Jesus didn't commit the sin. Jesus didn't do, this, do the crime, right? 
He, we did the crime. He's doing the time, so to speak. I don't mean to trivialize that, but I'm trying to help you understand here. So he's taking the blame and punishment for you and me. And, and this isn't just figurative. This isn't just, uh, you know, some kind of, uh, uh, what is it, a metaphor or whatever. No, he literally became your sin and my sin. And he was literally separated from God, the Father. And this is why he is the one sacrifice for all sin for all time. This is why Jesus can now say to you and me, I'm the author of eternal salvation and I can give to you, I can give to you, I can put you in oneness with my Father, right? In, in a state of union with Him that can never be broken. And since the union can never be broken, the life is not temporary, the life now is eternal. Man, you're getting quiet on me. Am I going too fast for you? I almost got into auctioneer mode there, but amen. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, so do you see then that he was made perfect through sufferings for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he's not ashamed to call them brethren. Okay, now, let's do this. Thank you, Jesus. So perfected forever means to reach the intended goal, to come full circle. What is the intended goal? The intended goal is unbroken fellowship. We were all in God. We came forth from God. Full circle, also known as perfection, is a return to oneness with God. Anything short of this is less than what Father desires. We were created in Adam. We were born again and recreated in Christ. In Adam, we were vulnerable to separation. In Christ, we are secure in our union and in our oneness. Amen. Now, let's do this. So many verses. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 5. And verse number 7, Hebrews 5 and 7. And we'll look at verses 8 and 9 as well. So we're going to see this same thought again. Who in the days of his flesh. So we know that Jesus is the eternal uncreated Son of God. He's without beginning and he's without end. When we celebrate his birth at Christmas time, we're not celebrating him coming into existence. We're celebrating him emptying himself of everything that made him God and him coming to the earth as a man. So in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. We're going to come back to that. That's an important phrase. And was heard because of his godly fear. Jesus cried out and prayed to his father. And notice his prayer was heard. And what do we know if God hears a prayer? What does that mean? If God hears it, it's answered. So he heard the prayer, he answered the prayer. Though he was a son, now notice we went from days of his flesh to the capital S here. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Man, this is some rich stuff right here. I mean, there is some rich goodness right here. Okay, now... If you don't understand the context of all this, you look at this and you get real confused because it's like, I thought Jesus was the eternal, uncreated Son of God, so was He not already perfect? Yes. So why did He have to learn about these things? It's because He had been the uncreated Son of God for all of eternity, but He had never been, been a man before. He'd never, quote-unquote, walked a mile in your shoes as you are. There's a difference there. See, this is... This is a whole other line of teaching that needs, needs a lot of correction in the body of Christ today. But Jesus became a man. He became a man. And he experienced what it is to be a man on planet earth. That's why the Bible says that he's able to help you and woo you 
and, 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 and be gentle and kind with you. But also, because again, he's, he's walked that quote unquote mile in your shoes, walked a lot more than a mile uh, in, in our shoes. I mean, you know, <laughs> we've all experienced temptation, but you know the devil was bearing down on Jesus. Amen. Okay. So let's, let's back up here for just a minute. All right. When that phrase, these vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, we're going we're gonna to split some hairs here, but I think you'll see why we're, we're splitting them, okay? That phrase, save him from death, would be better translated, save him out from under death. Save him out from under death. Jesus never asked the Father to save him from dying. And I'm going to show you that here in just a second. This was a real eye-opener for me when, when the Lord showed me this and, and digging into these words and prepositions. And See, again, in the English language, we, we just have that word from. You get into the Greek language, it's a more complex language, and there are different words with different meanings. You see, if Jesus had said, because this is, this is how I always you know, understood it, and again, you know, it was kind of like, in the garden of Gethsemane, he's like, oh, Father, you know, I don't want to die. If there's any way to keep me from dying, let's, let's figure out another way because, you know, I, 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 that's going to be bad. It's going it's to hurt. I don't, you know. And that was kind of how I understood it. That was not what Jesus was asking. If he, had been using, if he had been asking that, he would have used a different preposition. So let me give an example. If he was asking God the Father to save him or keep him from having to die, he would have used the Greek word apo, A-P-O. But that's not what is used here. Instead, he used the Greek word ek, E-K, which also is translated from. But this word means out from within or out from under. Apo, let me put them on the screen for you. Apo means from the edge of. From the edge of. Ek means out from within or out from under. Stay with me, please. I know it's been a long day for a lot of us, okay? So when Jesus said, offered up prayers and supplication and asked God the Father to save him from death, save him from death is separation. Are you following me? He didn't say, Father God, I don't want to die. He had already agreed before the foundations of the world to die. He wasn't rebelling against his father. He wasn't having second thoughts. The prayer with tears and the vehement cries was he knew he was going to die. He had already agreed to that. His prayer was, when I die, save me out from under it. Bring me out of it. Don't leave me there, was the prayer. Let me, let me give you a couple of quotes from Kenneth Wiest, okay? Had the inspired writer, in other words, the writer of uh, the book of Hebrews, used apo, he would have 
reported our Lord as praying to be saved from dying a physical death. At no time in his life did Jesus pray that prayer. The cup for him in Gethsemane included two things. That he was to be made sin and that the fellowship between father and son would be broken. Don't tell me the Holy Spirit didn't lead me to this, right? I mean, I, I, you've heard me quote and read even from the Weiss translation of the Bible. Our Lord fully expected to be raised out from among the dead. Hence, there was no need of such a petition. Furthermore, if he had prayed for escape from physical death, his prayer was not answered. That's not what he prayed. He prayed that his father would bring him out from under death. Why was that necessary? Because we were all under death. We were all, death is separation. He knew he would be separated from God. So he's recognizing that he's going to be made sin. Again, the cup, right? This cup may pass from me. This cup may pass from me. The cup for him, let me go back to it. Last sentence. The cup for him in Gethsemane included two things. He was to be made sin, because what does sin do? Sin separates. And when he was made our sin, that the fellowship between Father and the Son would be broken. I'm, I'm going to kind of go out on a limb here. I don't want anybody to misunderstand what I'm saying. What Jesus endured physically goes beyond comprehension. The physical torture and pain that he endured again, the agony. The Romans had gotten very, very good at making examples out of people by hurting them and torturing them and doing it publicly so as to uh, keep people uh, you know, at bay, so to speak, and keep them afraid to to push boundaries and, and things of that nature. But don't misunderstand me, okay? There, there have been human beings who have suffered, physically suffered, um, equal to what Jesus has suffered. And I'm not trying to get gross or graphic, but uh, people who came after the Romans figured out even more ways to inflict horrific days and days long suffering and death on people, all right? So I'm not... I'm not trying to take anything away from what Jesus did, but the physical suffering that he endured, as horrible as it was, was nothing compared, nothing compared to what he endured spiritually, what he endured mentally, and what he endured emotionally. J.T., um, as you know, Thompson, uh, a lot of you know, he, we had his homegoing celebration yesterday. And, and um, he and his wife married 54 years, met when she was 15, he was 16. They were married when she was 18, he was 19. Ten days later, Brother Ronnie went off to Vietnam. It's just a beautiful love story. And, and, and you know, he, he had been there, he was there for 18 months. He wrote every week, and then all of a sudden the letters stop. And she's just this young bride, I mean, not even 20 years old. You know, I'm just, uh, love of her life is gone now. She's not hearing from him anymore. And she told me on the phone, she said, Pastor Mark, you know, I, I am, I'm back in there, and I'm having nightmares, and just all this is going on in my mind, and I'm trying not to fear the worst, but, you know, just pushing all that back and believing the best, right? And then, of course, four weeks later, the letters starred, and he had been pinned down and obviously couldn't write. And, and, of course, the Lord brought him back home to her, you know. And now, 54 years later, 
he passes away in their home. And of course, we know where he is. We love him and we see him again. He's a good brother, beautiful brother. Amen. But now I look into the eyes of this, of this woman who spent 54 years of her life loving this man, this man loving her, and, and they're not, he's not there anymore. Are you know what I'm saying? And that kind of tenure and that kind of love and that kind of history, it, it, it establishes chords between two people's hearts that is difficult to get through. Are you with me? All right. So now compare that to a much purer love in an innumerable number of years that God the Father and God the Son have been just like this with the Holy Spirit. And now Jesus is about to be ripped out of that. I've, 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 I've over the years, you know, these people that, um, you know, they, they say things like, you know, man, my, you know, I don't know how to, I don't know how to function without my spouse. You know, I mean, we've, we've done everything together for all these years now, you know. And my heart goes out to people who have, have been through those types of situations. And thank God I, I, I have not uh, been through uh, that type of a situation. But if you can at least empathize that much with somebody's, you know, hurt and adjustment and all that. So this is what Jesus was dealing with. Anybody remember first, first like real thing you ever did wrong? You know what I'm saying? And when you was old enough to know and remember, and how it made you feel. See, Jesus learned things through his through his sufferings. He never knew the guilt or the pain of sin. He never experienced that. He never felt that, ever, ever. And now he's not just gonna, you know, feel guilty about putting a piece of bubble gum in his pocket while the store clerk wasn't looking in the line of the grocery store or whatever. He's about to take every sin that ever has been or ever will be committed on himself. This is why the capillaries in his sweat glands were rupturing and he was sweating blood. And he was crying out with vehement cries to his father. Not take the cup of my physical death away from me but bring me out from under separation with you Jesus was perfected that's what the Bible says right what's the pattern he was one with the father he came forth from the father he became our sin was separated from the father that's death was born again from the dead to newness of life and has been reestablished in oneness and fellowship with the Father as a man in a glorified body. So when the Bible says that we have eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, that's, what's the right word for this? That, that's the meat and taters behind that statement. Amen, stand with me tonight. That, that's, that's, that's why that's true. I, th- I think sometimes we, we, we look at these things because they've never been explained to us. We've never searched them out in Scripture or what have you. And we think, you know, that Father God just like, oh, okay, all right, you're forgiven, you're forgiven. Oh, you want to be forgiven? Okay, you're forgiven too. 
eternal life anybody? Okay, eternal life, eternal life, sure, why not? Eternal life, you know. And we don't realize the price, the cost, the suffering. The only way we could be perfected is for our substitute to come and be perfected. Praise the name of the living God. Praise the name of the living God. Amen. Father, as we stand before you tonight, we say thank you. We say thank you for loving us. We say thank you for desiring us. We say thank you for never giving up on us, always believing the best about us, Father. Lord, I I, I pray, Lord, over every person that's listening to me right now, Father, uh, for a spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of you. Father, in, in anything and everything that has to do with you and your word and your truth in our lives, but Father, that, that your people would hunger and thirst for the understanding and the truth about our salvation. Father, I, I am convinced one of the reasons we are so unenthusiastic about sharing what we've been given with other people is because we have no idea what we've been given. Father, it's a glorious, glorious gift and abundance of grace and this gift of righteousness. Restored position, right standing, same right standing with you as Jesus, which means we can have the same fellowship with you as Jesus. Anything less would in same degree, Father, would in same degree be less fellowship, but Lord, it's the same. And so we thank you for it. We thank you, Father, for helping us understand these things, not just with the brain, but with the heart by faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here this evening. I know, again, some of your day started way before daylight this morning. But um, God honors those who honor Him and rewards those who diligently seek Him. So you be blessed. I'll see some of you on Sunday, some of you before, some of you after. Good things coming.